Welcome to the very first episode of WRA's podcast, Two Degrees Out West. I'm your host, Brennan Witt. On today's episode, I speak with Jeremy Romero of the National Wildlife Federation and Andrew Pappas of the Outdoor Industry Association. Andrew and Jeremy have been named as the 2019 Emerging Leader Award recipients from Western Resource Advocates. The Emerging Leader Award is given out annually to young leaders ages 35 and under who have done exemplary work to advance conservation in the Mountain West. This year is particularly significant as WRA is celebrating its 30th anniversary of working to protect the West's land, air, and water so that vibrant communities can exist in balance with nature. Over the last three decades, WRA has helped states across our region transition to a low-carbon economy, and several Western states now have nation-leading climate policies. We've helped to conserve the West's precious and increasingly scarce water supplies, ensuring cities, farms, businesses, and wildlife habitat have the resources they need. We've worked to tackle air pollution, a problem that plagues cities from Denver to Salt Lake to Phoenix and is detrimental to our health, and more recently, we've worked to preserve our cherished Western landscapes for the people and wildlife of our region. In looking at our history and at our mission, we could think of no better way to recognize that effort to help our Western communities exist in balance with nature than to recognize both Andrew and Jeremy, who work respectively to promote sustainability policy at the state level and to protect our public lands and wildlife across the West. Welcome, Jeremy and Andrew, and thank you both for joining me via Skype for our conversation today. To start off, I want to ask you, what drew you to work in conservation? We all know there's no shortage of challenges facing our work at the moment. So what inspired you to want to work in conservation and policy? Um, yeah, thank you so much, Brennan. And I mean, for me, growing up in Colorado, spending time outside really just was something I was lucky was in my backyard, being able to go up to the mountains for a week and escape on a trail run in the afternoon after school, go to a local park. It was something that growing up, I always had available and the opportunity to access and get to. And it, it really was formative for me. So um, as I went to school for professions, I was lucky enough to uh, work for elected leaders that were passionate about the outdoors. Um, and that ended up became, that became further ingrained in who I was and gave me a passion for my work and was really lucky enough to turn that into a career working for public lands, um, supporting access, uh, addressing issues like climate change. So really it was something that was instilled in me from a young age, something I became passionate about and was um, fortunate enough to have the opportunity to, to pursue a, a career and, and, and find a passion. Hey, this is Jeremy here. Thanks, Brendan. I just want to echo what, what Andrew said there. We, we appreciate you letting us be on here on the podcast with you today. You know, my, my, my story is very similar to Andrew's. We, um, sounds like we both grew up very passionate about the outdoors. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, born and raised. I still live here today, but I grew up from like a, a pretty traditional land use family. You know, we, we hunted, we fished, we camped, we, we were a, a ranching family at times. And so, you know, we were real passionate about the outdoors and public lands and, and what that really meant to us. And so that, you know, Growing up in that kind of traditional land use family in New Mexico, where you know we had so many, we had, we had so much access to the outdoors and, and these wide open spaces and the land, the water, and the wildlife. I really wanted to, um, you know, 
that, that really inspired me to be able to protect these for future generations. I want those generations to be able to benefit from these values and these opportunities that I have for so many years. And so that really has inspired me. And then just, just to add to that, you know, I think it's with kind of the, the current kind of the current administration where we are today, I think the, you know, we've been seeing a lot of things that threaten these very livelihoods that I think Andrew and I love so much. And, you know, we've seen some recent attacks on, on like, the pub, on public lands, obviously, but obviously through different policies like NEPA and LWCF and the Endangered Species Act, these all definitely have significant impacts on our livelihood and the things we all cherish and care about. And so this really kind of sparked a fire to want to be inspired. Yeah, and just on echo that, Jeremy, right now it's such a critical time and it's really, I'm, I'm, I feel like lucky that we have this opportunity here, I mean, both in our work and now is uh, with WRA to stand up for a lot of these things that we grew up with in a time that's truly necessary, um, more so than the past, to, to vocalize the importance of public lands, the protection of them, the access to them, um, having them there for future generations. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's critical. And, uh, I completely agree. Definitely. That's why we do it. Definitely. I couldn't agree more with both of you. I also grew up here in the West and hearing the stories of the ways that you grew up and the things that made you want to work to protect definitely resonate deeply with me. As you noted right now, our work in conservation is facing challenges that in many ways we've never seen before. Following on that love that you have for the West that you just touched on, what led you to want to work on the issues that you're working on specifically right now? That's a great question. So I, I attended New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and I, I got my bachelor's of science in plant environmental science. And so I always wanted to have a passion and a career in the outdoors. Um, you know, I really enjoy and I'm really passionate about wildlife. And so I always wanted to, you know, be around wildlife and kind of further my knowledge and my, and my experience around wildlife and wildlife management. And so I had an opportunity about three years ago to accept a position with the National Wildlife Federation as a connectivity coordinator, where I focused on where, we, where we've been able to recognize through best available science and through peer-reviewed research, these important habitat areas in New Mexico and Colorado that serve for facilitating wildlife connectivity and wildlife corridors or or wildlife movement. And so, you know, it was kind of like, it was kind of the best of both worlds. I really wanted to work outside and in, in, in the outdoors and with wildlife and this opportunity presented itself. And I was just, you know, really blessed and, and fortunate to be able to, you know, be in this position where I can protect the things I cherish and I, and I love. Yeah. And, and for me, um, I was lucky enough to end up in this world through the policy perspective. So, I mean, I had the opportunity in college to go out to Washington, D.C. and uh, work for Colorado Senator Bennett and then come back and work for Senator Udall. And, I mean, coming at it from the policy perspective, I think you go into that work on that side, trying to, to work on issues that you're passionate about, that you can make a difference in, that you need to stand up for. And learning from two environmental leaders like that was really critical in seeing how they can affect change on the policy side um, by using their voices, using the mechanisms and really um, immersing myself into that world. I found an opportunity to engage. And then when I had the opportunity to come to Outdoor Industry Association and see that there's businesses out there that have these same values that are trying to use their voice in this way to protect public lands, address climate change, address these critical issues. 
I, I felt like I just found that sweet spot where you're working on the business side from a unique perspective to protect things that are, are so critical to our futures as humans, as businesses, whatever your background is, wherever you come from, um, having these places around and available are critical. And I think one of my favorite things that Senator Ute always uh, used to say and came, I think, from um, Emerson was, you don't inherit these lands from your ancestors. You are um, borrowing them from future generations. And that really embodied itself into me where we need to act, we need to do things. And um, I was lucky enough that my profession brought me to this point and I can follow that passion and instill that, that ethic into uh, my daily work. Awesome. Now that you've both found a path to work on the issues that you're truly passionate about in both of your positions, from that perspective, what do you see as the most pressing environmental challenge facing the West right now? Uh, from my perspective, it's climate change. Um, everything we do, everything we work on all is encompassed by the impacts climate change is having in our environment on where we go outside, on wildfire, on drought, on the way we live our lives. So that's such a a pressing issue with so many ramifications beyond um, just the issue in and of itself that in order to to truly protect public lands, protect protect whatever it is, addressing climate change is the number one threat to, to continue to protect the West and the globe. Andrew, I think you I think you said it perfectly. I mean, that was that was the first thing that I thought of was what's what's the biggest threat and concern that we have going on in the West right now, and that's that's climate change, that's a concern for our environment. And with that, you know, we can branch it off into many different many different angles from, you know, obviously like public lands transfer, transfer natural resource development and habitat loss and habitat fragmentation. But definitely I would I would I would argue that, you know, climate change is the top of the list and needs to be a concern of everyone, you know, especially folks that don't, that don't step a foot in wide open spaces or public lands and live in these urbanized cities. You know, I try, a lot of my work is trying to educate these individuals and try to get them to advocate for these areas. Say, you know, we love land, we love water, we love wildlife. If we love clean water, if we love clean air and we love seeing wildlife, perfect example is pollinators, right? What they mean to us. If we don't take these steps to be, to be advocates and to and to prioritize the protections of these of these things in our climate, then you know we're at risk of losing these. Certainly, I think you've both hit the nail on the head and touched on a topic that often comes up for us here at Western Resource Advocates, which is how climate change serves as a thread through all the different areas of our work and conservation whether it be the impact on pollinators and our public lands or the impact on our air quality and the influence of pollution on our ability to get outside and enjoy the places that we love without the impact on our health. You may have heard about a report released recently which found that prolonged exposure to some of the air pollution and dangerous air quality levels that we have around the West could, over time, be as detrimental to our health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So from air pollution and air quality to our diminishing snowpack and the impacts to public lands, we are certainly seeing the effects of climate change as a unifying factor for our work and across our region right now. Keeping that in mind, in your experience and from your work personally, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges to addressing climate change? That's a great question. I, I think you know education and outreach. I think that's one of the one of the greatest things that we can we can overlook is how do we educate 
the younger generations and the older generations on the impacts that we are having and the impacts that we have caused on our climate. Um, I think one of the biggest, you know, for my work, I work on corridors and connectivity in, in regards to wildlife. And, you know, we know wildlife know no boundaries. They move across multiple jurisdictions. And I think maintaining high levels of collaboration and communication with a diverse group of stakeholders, right? Our landscapes are very diverse and checkerboarded with different ownership. And so understanding that we all play a role in climate change and making sure that we all we all are educated on how impactful we can be. And even if we work together, you know, it seems small at what we do is, you know, being conservationists and being sustainably minded um, and mindful, excuse me, you know, we, we can work together and have a large impact on our climate. And, and hopefully, you know, we, we just saw a recent UN biodiversity report that had uh, highlighted some, some pretty, you know, devastating news for, for wildlife and species in the future and, and, and how we could potentially use it lose a tremendous amount of species at an alarming rate. And so understanding and amplifying the work from scientists and conservationists that are out there leading on the forefront and and are pioneering efforts at an unprecedented rate to combat climate change. I think it's important that we as a, as a nation and, you know, especially in local communities, educate those folks and take proper steps to, to combat climate change and, and make it a real issue. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. The, the need for education is, is critical. I mean, in the political, it's just become such a, a partisan issue, which is unfortunate. The, the need to really educate people on the causes, the impacts of climate change, what they can do to make an impact in their daily lives, thinking about it, making it an issue when they go to the ballot box. Um, I mean, for for us, that's such a, a critical next step forward where there's so many big issues in our time, but putting this in the forefront of people's minds, educating them, getting past the partisan divide, especially on the political side where you can talk about the issues and see issues with wildfire or migration, habitat issues, water issues, and talk about them in that sense. But once the word climate comes off, it can shut people down. Uh, to me, we have to get past that and go past words to start finding solutions. And I mean, that education component is critical, supporting science. The report after reports coming out, evidence after evidence is coming out with, I mean, July being the, the hottest month on record. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, and people are still debating if it's summer or climate change. Like that, to me, that doesn't make sense anymore. And if you're seeing records, you want to do something. You should do something to address those. And that education to all the communities, uh, all prevalent communities, is so critical. From yeah, the youth to older generations. Absolutely. When you both mention education. I think about our efforts to connect with people who may still be questioning, is this just a hot month or is this really a moment of crisis across our region and globally for our climate? I often think about trying to connect with people over places that we share common love and affinity for. When you connect with people through your work, I don't want to ask you to give up your secret spot or your absolute favorite place that you don't want everybody knowing about, but what is one place that comes to mind that people should know about in the West and that you are working to protect right now that we need to know about to protect? So I think, you know, I think what, I can give you a couple places and, and I think it's definitely, 
important. The work the area I work in is the upper Rio Grande. So Southern Colorado and Northern New Mexico, I'm going to call it basically from, from Albuquerque all the way to up into the San Luis Valley. Um, this is a place where I, I grew up. It's a, you know, we've recognized this area as important wildlife habitat. And it's also one of considered one of the most critically intact and best intact landscapes for wildlife and facilitating wildlife movement in the country. But, you know, a place that's near and dear to my heart that, you know, is, is a product of conservation efforts through multiple, multiple effort, through multiple, multiple efforts through communities and through our congre- congressional leaders is, is the Valles Caldera National Preserve in New Mexico. And as Andrew was mentioning, you know, his, his work in policy is, is extremely important. I, you know, my background wasn't so much in policy, but through this work and through me getting this job, I've had the opportunity to, to dive in headfirst into policy, working with our congressional leaders, our state representatives, our federal leaders. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. to see the level of work and, 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 and the intricateness and details that goes into the policy that allows us to be able to enjoy public lands. And I say that because the Valles Caldera was actually purchased with funds from the Land Water Conservation Fund. And so this is an area that I, I grew up, it was it was privately owned when I was when I was a child. And so I never had access to this area. And uh, you know, I was basically on the outside looking in where I saw herds of elk. You know, this area is approximately ninety thousand acres, so it's a it's a very large area. It's it's beautiful. It's an old, it's an ancient volcano. And so, you know, when I when the federal government purchased this this piece of property for just over a hundred million dollars using land water conservation fund money and funds. It was an opportunity that allowed the public to access this this treasure that was not only important for the local communities. It had an incredible uh, spiritual and sacred. Um, values for a lot of the local tribes in New Mexico. And so this was an area that I, when it, when I was allowed to get to access that and start exploring it, it was an area that is just, it it was beautiful. And any, any moment I can, any spare minute I can get outside, that's usually where I'm going, whether I'm looking at elk or whether I'm fly fishing in the open meadows, it's a, it's an area that I, I suggest, you know, and we say public lands are, are your lands are for everybody. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a honey hole for everyone. If you want to say that I, if you're in New Mexico and you're around, you know, Northern New Mexico in particular, I, I highly suggest getting to the Valles Caldera. Um, and if you come in September, you know, it's a, it's a elk put on a, a magnificent show there. So that's, that's one of my great places, but also the upper Rio Grande. That's just due to my work. That's an area that's near and dear to my heart that I'm passionate about on what it, what it means to the larger landscape and all the local communities that I represent and that also represent me. And so, yeah, those are just two areas that I think are, are vitally important to my own, my own being and my own uh, passion for the work that I, that I do. I think we need to do an emerging leaders trip to the virus called Darius. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> sounds good. Uh, um, I mean, for me, a, a place that's just near and dear to my heart, special to me, is just southwestern Colorado, the San Juan, San Juan National Forest. It's just one of those regions of the world that, uh, like, the first time I went, you're you're left speechless. You're in awe, and there's just so much to explore. There's so much to see. Um, the history there, the transition of the communities, the the diversification of economies, how it all comes together around appreciating their outdoors going outside and just the natural the beauty of that that part of the state is just a place i love and one of those spots that i 
I went to and saw and was like this this is why we have to do the work we do is these are the places that you you want to conserve that you want to see that you want to be able to visit in 10 20 40 years and have it be in hopefully the same condition it is now and I mean it's whether the policy or um, the grassroots side of things the education um, it's just one of those places that you see it all come together and can just go get lost in um but yeah that's one of those places that's just special for me wow after listening to both of you it'll be hard to sit in the office for the rest of the day i might need to pack up early and head out we'll wrap up today by looking forward a little bit now that you've been recognized as wra's emerging leaders what's next for you and your work um, I mean, really just hoping to continue to communicate and the urgency of addressing climate change and finding opportunities to do so. And um, we live in a kind of a increasingly partisan world, but I'm lucky to currently have the opportunity where I'm at to utilize businesses to hopefully bridge that gap. And I mean, we've seen it on public lands where uh, party doesn't matter as much anymore, part uh, protecting public lands, supporting LWCF, those bridge partisan divide, those critical issues, and making climate one of those things where we can work towards strong, bipartisan, lasting solutions that truly makes an impact. I think that's that's where I see um, the, the future going, and hopefully being able to be a part of that um, is, is where I hope to, to continue to be through this. And I mean, just really appreciate, again, the, the recognition and support from WRA, the work that you do, and the opportunities you guys create to make this all possible. So um, just really am grateful for this and grateful for the opportunities that this presents and really expanding this message and working with Jeremy more and expanding our networks and really finding opportunities to, to make a, a true impact across the West. I mean, I think Andrew said it perfectly, you know, it's, it's hard to follow up with, with, with that. I, it's you know, I, I definitely want to thank WRA for recognizing me as an emerging leader. I can, I can think of, a handful of other, you know, of colleagues of mine's friends and mentors that are just as deserving, if not more deserving of this award. I think if it weren't for them and the strong people around me that support my work, I, I would definitely not be in this position, but I think, you know, and it's, it's, I can say it for both Andrew and I, this, this is just the beginning, you know, it's, this is just the, uh, we, we have an opportunity to, to, to stand up for something that we are, we're all passionate about through land, water, and wildlife. And this is considering the, the time that we are in, this is, this is the time that we need to do it. And this is the time that we need to act. And so there's still a lot of hard work ahead of us. There's still a lot of good work to be done. You know, I, I'm fortunate and blessed to work with a lot of diverse stakeholders in this work. And so, you know, continuing to fight the good fight and make sure our voices are heard and be continuing to amplify local communities' voices so that they can be heard, you know, is, is definitely where I'm going to be focusing a lot of my energy and just, you know, I think being that we are all in the conservation we, we kind of take it in stride. Every day is kind of different and organic. And within the last kind of couple of years, we've seen that. And so, you know, being being prepared for what, what can possibly come next, I think it's always, you know, important to, there's, there's a good Wayne Gretzky quote, and it's skate to where the puck is. 
or where it's going to be, not where it is, excuse me. And, and so, you know, if we can, if we can start to prepare ourselves and start to educate those local communities and amplify those voices to where, you know, the future looks a lot more promising for us and protecting these areas that we all care and areas that have made, you know, the three of us of who we are today and why, why we're on this podcast, you know, talking about these, these values that we all cherish. And so it's, you know, this, this is just the beginning and I'm excited to be a part of this work. I'm excited to be on this podcast. I'm excited to to share the same space with you all. And, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for, for all of us and, and protecting, you know, the things we love. Well, we certainly look forward to seeing the work that you both do going forward and look forward to working with you further in our shared efforts to address climate change and to protect the West's land, air, and water. I want to congratulate you again on receiving WRA's Emerging Leader Award, and thank you for joining us at our 30th anniversary celebration this year. Thank you both very much on being with me today. I look forward to seeing you at the Protect the West celebration in Denver. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us for our first episode of Two Degrees Out West. I hope you'll join us and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes as they air. To learn more about our Protect the West celebration, Jeremy, Andrew, and the work that they're doing, check out our website. Thanks for listening.